who uh, wouldn't eat, had all kinds of health problems, and uh, wasn't eating enough to be nourished, and just just a lot going on. Came up for prayer and took one of these prayer cloths and slipped it in that little baby's carrier and came back with a testimony that that baby started eating and started gaining weight, started doing what it was supposed to do. Amen. You know, the, the Bible said the anointing's tangible. It doesn't matter if it's a prayer cloth or a backpack. We used to anoint pencils at school time and believe for the kids to, to do better in school, and they did. You know, so, uh, so man, I believe in this. This works. This is the word. This isn't a trick or a gimmick. This is the word. So uh, I'm just going to leave some of these up here with me tonight and just pray over them and believe over them while I'm preaching, if that's okay. Amen. If you'll turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 28, uh, just preach to you a little bit. Can y'all help me preach tonight? I'm an audience participation preacher, so if you'll just yell amen or praise God or preach white boy preach, we'll have a good time. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the Bible says in Genesis chapter 28, we'll start reading in verse 10. It says, And Jacob went out to Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he lightened upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took a stone of the place and put them for his pillow. And he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth to the top of it and reached to the heavens. And behold, the angel of God ascended and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. And the land whereon thou liest, I will give it to thee and thy seed. And thy seed seed and all of the dust of the earth thou shalt spread abroad. I'm going to skip down to verse 19. And it says, And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at first. Now, this is just a side note. So the place that it was close to was Luz, which means almond tree. And I got excited when I just began to think about the almond tree. Of course, we know Israel is looked at as the almond tree. But the thing about an almond tree, an almond tree will bloom out of season. So what I want to share to you and some truths I'd like to pull out of this, when Pastor called me and was kind of talking to me about uh, the services and what he felt in his spirit and kind of the thing, it just bore such witness with me. And when he started talking about going back to Bethel, it just really just, it burned in my heart instantly. And God at that moment began to talk to me and talk to me about going back to Bethel. So I'm so appreciative for Pastor inviting me to come and be here. And, and so, so good to be in fellowship with, with Pastor Ralph. And we sure honor you guys and thank you. Can you put your hands together for Pastor tonight and just let him know we love him. And man, these are two of the most precious people on this planet. Uh, just real quick, thank you so much. We uh, So much going on in the ministry right now. God's just been so good to us. Uh, last April, we launched our television program. Uh, on Friday afternoons, we are reaching 50 million homes across the world. Amen. So who would ever think we could do that from Mansfield, Arkansas, a city of less than 1,000 people, but, but God knows, right? So we're excited about that. Now, that's potential reach, okay? That's not, we, we, that, we don't know that that many people are tuning in. We have some hard numbers for that. But, so because of that station, we were picked up by the King's Network that happens to be an English-speaking Asian network that reaches all over Asia, potentially 250 million people. That's how many homes that that is in. So, so hard numbers, which is what matters, people actually watching. This is unbelievable. Of all the places in the world that we're hitting, we're hitting in Pakistan. And we have roughly 90,000 people a week watching us in Pakistan. That's unprecedented, amen? And so uh, they, send us, they send us a report. Because we were already on the, the Daily Gospel, they picked us up. We're also on a station out of uh, St. Louis and just kind of spread out all over. You know, once you kind of get your foot in the door, then it just starts kind of rolling from there. Um, but we are weekly getting testimonies of people being saved. Now, our, uh, as far as airtime, the King's Network wants us to come on their live program. 
during prime time, Pastor will potentially reach 250 million viewers during that time. So we're so excited. So we thank you so much for being a part of that. You're such a blessing, and uh, the best is yet to come. Amen. So I, I shared that tonight because we have such a heart to reach people. We're trying to reach people however we can through the internet, through in person. Um, you know, we get some strange requests. You know, when we come out of the revival there in Poto, um, the, the problem, Poto, Oklahoma, you know, uh, I, 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 it's funny, I get it mixed up because in two weeks I'm going to Shoto, Oklahoma. And our, my first time there, I thought it was Chateau. And I'll never forget, I said, it's good to be in Chateau, Oklahoma. I'd never been there before. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Some lady stuck, took off her shoe and said, it's Shoto. See, I'm showing you my toe. Right in the middle of the service, only in Oklahoma, people. I don't know, you know, those Oklahoma folks. But we had such a powerful meeting. I didn't want to leave, you know. I just, you know, I didn't want to leave the, the services. But we had so many miracles. Uh, all the way back, and I, 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 I share this. I, I'm going to get back to Bethel in just a moment. But I share this because uh, I am just hungry for a move of God. I mean, a nonstop, continuous move of God. And, you know, sometimes, you know, traveling around America, seeing the temperature of the church, sometimes it gets very discouraging to see what the temperature of the church is. Because every, everywhere is not like it is here tonight in this service. There's not the freedom. There's not the liberty. I'm very thankful that God's allowed me to be in revival and, and have a, there's a spirit of revival that follows us. But that's not all over America. But in 1992, I had the privilege of... Uh, going to a little revival in a church that had about 15 people in it on the corner of U.S. 52 and Stockwell Road. During that, that revival, which was just a few days, turned into an eight-week move of God. During those eight weeks, people got up out of wheelchairs. There was a man that literally died in one of the services, and he came, I mean, on death's door. He came to the service died in the middle of the service. It called, we had to call EMS. It was just a mess. But God raised him up and healed him. The same man, two weeks later, could not walk across the room without a nitroglycerin pill. Uh, went on vacation and from drove from Indiana down to Disney World, went and seen the mouse. You know, I mean, you know, this was a different time. You know, but, uh, but did it, walked all over Florida and did everything he wanted to do, completely healed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, what happened was that revival ruined me because that's what the Spirit of God will do with you with church as usual. It'll just ruin you because from that point forward, I was never happy with just going to church again. I mean, if I, if I had to today just go to a church where I had to sit down and stand up, when I go home, you know, I go to a church with my family. I go to a Spirit-filled church, but, um, you know, it's different from the atmosphere of revival that we're in all the time. But if I had to go to a place where just sit down, stand up, take up an offering, sing a couple songs, and have an altar call at the end, somebody might come, somebody might not, I don't think I'd go to church. <laughs> I mean, I would do something else. I would stay home and just be in the presence of God. During that meeting in 1992, she was not yet my wife. My wife was a very sick young lady. The doctor told her she would never have children. She was 24 hours from a dialysis machine. She was working, she was going to school and working, had a lot going on in her life. She passed out at work. She was already anemic, had a lot of problems. She goes into the hospital, they run all of these tests on her, and they set up a dialysis appointment for her the next day. They come in and they prep her and talk to her about dialysis, and they tell her this is something you'll have to do, parting a miracle for the rest of your life. This is a 21-year-old girl who has got her whole life in front of her, who's already been told she'd never have children, and now she's being told that she'll have to live on this machine, parting a miracle, and some other things. I mean, you know how that goes, but the doctors always tell you the worst-case scenario. So uh, the nurse comes in. She's hooked up to all these machines, and the nurse comes in and tells her all of this stuff that, about the dialysis. And my wife, again, I don't know her yet, but she gets scared. And when that nurse leaves, she unplugs herself from the machines. She gets dressed and goes home. And so now my mother-in-law, who, again, is not yet my mother-in-law, works at that hospital on that same floor. She's a registered nurse on that floor. She comes into the hospital and wants to know where, where, where her daughter is. 
And they say, we have no idea. She, uh, her bed's empty. She took off. We don't know where she is. So they start, she starts calling around trying to find her. Well, she had a little apartment over where she was going to school. And uh, she had, uh, her mom said, what are you doing? And she said, well, mom, I got scared and all of this. But to make a long story short, she told her, well, you have got to check yourself back in. This is serious. You could die from this. And she said, Mom, I'm not, I'm too young for this. I'm not going to live my life on a dialysis machine and all of this stuff, you know. And her mom said, I'll make a deal with you. You do one of two things with, for me. You either come back and you check yourself into this hospital or you go to church with me tonight. Now, it just so happens that we both landed at that little church on the corner of Stockwell Road and US 52 just outside of Lafayette, Indiana. When she walked in that night, revival was underway. A church of about 15 people had turned into over 300 people in just a couple of weeks by the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, what will happen is revival will change culture. It will come in and it will just radically change a neighborhood, a city, and even a nation. And uh, when she walked through the doors, the doors of that church was, and the name of the church was Bethel, by the way. The, 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 the doors of the church were in the back. She walked through those doors, and when she did, Pastor, uh, that preacher pointed at her and said, God has a word for you tonight. And he began to tell her that she would never go on a dialysis machine as long as she lives. Come on, somebody told her she would have as many children as she would want that God was going to heal her that night. Uh, he laid hands on her. Now, you know, that interrupted the service, but the Holy Spirit can interrupt any time, right? And so uh, he laid hands on her, and through the power of the Holy Ghost, she was completely healed that night. Uh, here we are. We've been married for almost 30 years. In 30 years of marriage, we've had three children that are perfectly healthy, that God's hand on, that, that loves and serves the Lord. She has never had another kidney problem, never went back to the doctor, didn't go back to the hospital, never went to the doctor for that, never had another kidney problem again. She was completely healed by the Holy Ghost. I, I want you to know we, we, as, we as the church need to start seeking God for revival for our city, for our nation. We need to seek God. We need to seek God for other churches. I'm, I'm thankful for when uh, Pastor Ralph, when, when revival so hits you that the Spirit of God just knocks you out while you're walking through the doors. I can't wait for that to happen. Pastor, I can't wait for people to drive by and they, they, they begin to cry out, I feel something over there in that storefront that's drawn me to it. And as your building gets bigger and your crowd gets bigger and God does all of that, I pray that the Spirit of God is so rich and so heavy that as people go by, they say, I've got to stop and check out what's going in that church, right? That's the cry in my heart. And uh, I'm believing for that, and I believe God will do that. But can I tell you, when the Baptist Street down the road gets filled with the Holy Ghost, and they start speaking in tongues, and start falling out under the power of God, you know, right here, not far from where we stand, Mary Woodward Eddard would hold tent meetings and hold revivals. Not far from here, the Dallas Morton son would uh, tell the stories of her meeting. One time while she was preaching, she stood, and she flung her hand forward, and when she did, she froze for three days. The Dallas Morning Sun chronicled that, took, came out and uh, had sent reporters out to tell stories about that. For three days, she had no idea what was going on. Uh, they said the only movement, the movement that she would make would be tears would fall from her eyes. Froze in one position. I mean, the best of people couldn't do that. People would be plowing their fields, and they would fall out under the power of God, and they would wake up, and they would walk to the meeting and say, I don't know why I'm here, but I feel like God has an assignment for me at that place. Oh, that the church today, I propose to you from that day till now, the church has lost something. While our pulpits have become a place for political figures, and they become a place for caricatures, and they become a place for people who are more interested in 
being popular than they are preaching the gospel. And our pulpits have turned into platforms rather than an altar where we preach the gospel and people get saved. But now we're trying to be popular and trying to be the most popular church or the most hip or the most uh, uh, influential church in our city when God is just looking for somebody that is available that'll just stand up and declare, God, if you'll give us a visitation, God, if you'll give us a habitation, somewhere between a woman standing and freezing under the power of God that drew people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, the church has lost something. From the days of the disciples, the apostles, walking the streets of the city, and them coming up to them and laying aprons and handkerchiefs on them and the power of God was so rich in their lives to a day when we become so seeker sensitive and so user friendly that we've said if we can get folks in and out as fast as we can maybe they'll come back next week but God's looking for to do something slow and steady in the church he's looking to do something that is so powerful that the world will step back and say only God could have done that Only God could have done that. After three days, she picked right up where she left off with her preaching. We need to be a church that operates in power again. And the Bible says that the day came when God speaks again. And we'll go to that scripture. He speaks again to Jacob. And he says, I want you to go back to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And so in 2020, this blows me away to this day. In 2020, 2020 is what? When you think 2020, what do you think of? You think of eyesight. You think of vision. Churches all over America were preparing their literature for the next year that was going to be all around 2020 vision for 2020, right? It's a cute little hook. I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, I, I mean, I would have to agree with it. I would, I would be one to say this is the year God's telling us to have vision. But in the midst of that, churches get shut down all over, not just America, but all over the world, and I know we did it for all these different reasons, and but I'm just telling you that since that happened, there's been an all-out attack on the church, and church attendance have come to an all-time low. Maybe you've not experienced it, but I go to churches all over America that ran hundreds that now run 50 and 60 people on Sunday morning that once ran hundreds, 200 plus uh, uh, every Sunday. There was an attack on the church, but God's saying it's time to go back to Bethel. It's time to go back to the house of God. The Bible tells us about the 12 tribes of Israel. There was one tribe that lived the furthest from the temple, and that was the tribe of Dan. And Dan was the first tribe to fall into full-blown pagan worship because they said it is too far for us to travel. God is looking for a generation that will rise up and say it's not too far. A church alive is worth the tribe. A church where the power of God is operating in is a church worth driving to and being a part of. I've driven hours and hours, days, to be in services, I've, I've, uh, we, we, we used to drive into Mexico, into uh, the, on the Arizona border, into Aqua Pareta, Mexico. It was the thirty-hour drive for us to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. To this day, I go to the East Coast. I, I fly, drive, take subways, ride a motorcycle. However, and I need to get there. You know what I'm saying? But in the midst of that, I'll, I'll drive uh, from my house to my first meeting in Virginia is 23 hours. I willingly, happily do it because I want to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember I just finished preaching in Rhode Island, Rhode Island, New York. I closed out a service at 10 o'clock. Uh, we were all done about 10 o'clock. I got in my car. I had to be in uh, Louisville, Kentucky by 5 o'clock the next day. It wasn't possible. There was, no, there was no plane that I could get. There was no flight that I can catch. The only way for me to do that was get in my car, 
get on 80 and drive cross country just to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is looking for willing, capable, able people. He's not looking for the gifted and the talented. If he, if he was, he'd be in Hollywood because we have got the most gifted, talented people in the world. Between Nashville, L.A., Hollywood, New York, we've got gifted, talented people, but God is not looking for gifted, talented people. He is not looking for equipped people. He is looking for willing people that rise up and say, God, in the temperature of the church, I ask you to anoint me. If I got to preach an unpopular message, God, I will preach an unpopular message. God, if I got to do the hard things, then God, I will do the hard things. I don't remember what year it was, Pastor Scott, that you first held this Pentecost conference. But I think I've been here every year. And uh, I, I believe I have, pretty sure I have. But I think the first year, I think it was me and John Davis, and I think yourself that ministered maybe. But uh, I remember that was the first time I met, met Brother John. And he had such an impact on my life. But, you know, something about the anointing is the anointing will amplify everything you've got going on in your life. And so that's why when you sing, it's amplified because it's anointed. When you preach, it's amplified. When you talk, it's amplified under that anointing. And I don't remember what it was that he said, but as it is my way, I, I want to stay over and be here tomorrow night, but then I'll drive home and then I'll go from my house to Locust Grove, Oklahoma for my next meeting. And so uh, I remember I stayed over and listened to Brother John and was able to be in service an extra night. But after that service, I got in my truck and I drove home. And it's only about four, four and a half hours from, from this door to my door. And so I can, you know, I can do that without even having to stop, you know, even not stop for gas or anything, you know, it's just an easy trip. But something happened to me in that meeting. Something just, just shifted in that meeting, which is why, Pastor, God's put it on your heart for that to happen to people that comes into these meetings. And I, I don't remember what it was that, that he said. I, just something in the atmosphere made me want more of God. I want more of Him. I mean, I want more of his presence. I want more of his gifts and operation in my life. I don't say that to be greedy, but I want as much of God that I can have. And so I called my wife, and I'm just talking to her, and I'm driving down the road, and it's late at night. And she says, is something wrong? And I said, no, why? And she said, something's in your voice. And I just began to weep, and I began to express to her my heart, God, I just want more of God. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I know to do. I'm going to come home. This was, uh, I think this was a Saturday night, maybe a Sunday, maybe even a Sunday during the day. Maybe I'd, I'd come home on Sunday during the day. But I said, I'm going to come home. And I said, I'm going to anoint my face with oil. And I'm going to go into my prayer closet. And I'm not going to come out until I've heard from heaven about some things. Now, I didn't know that this would be a seven-day water fast. I, I didn't know. I didn't know I'd be tucking myself into my office and closing the door for seven days. I didn't know that. But I was prepared for 107 days. You know what I'm saying? I was just, I needed to hear from heaven. And so uh, I got home, and, and on Monday night at 6 o'clock, I washed my face. I anointed my head with oil. I'd, uh, I'd eaten a, a good, good hearty meal because I didn't know when my next one would be. And I went into, my, went into my office, I shut my door, and I began to pray. And I said, God, I'm not coming out now. The only exception, that week my daughter graduated. So I had to leave my, had to leave my office for the graduation ceremony. But other than that, I just, uh, I just stayed in that office and prayed and took nothing but water for seven days. Now, I've always, uh, the past few months, I've come off of coffee and caffeine of every kind and not drinking soda or anything, but... I've always been just a coffee drinker. I love coffee. Pastor Scott makes some of the best coffee in the country, you know. You know, back there in those little crook machines, you guys got some of the best coffee in the country, you know. And uh, um, so I'm coming off of the caffeine and everything the first three days. I didn't have time to wean myself off. So, man, it's cold turkey. Now, I know there are people that run around, oh, I love to it's just wonderful. It's so spiritually invigorating. I feel like, you know, I don't get to eat, but I eat angel feathers, and it's just so wonderful. 
Those people lie. They are. They tell you that, just tell them, look, I love you, but I think you need to repent. You know, because that's not me. Listen, if, if, uh, if, if I can get by with it, if I'm fasting, I'll watch the food channel. Because something in my head says, you know, I can't eat it, but at least I can think about eating. You know what I'm saying? Man, I went through the three days. I detoxed, you know. I, I was like a drug addict. I had my head over the porcelain throne. I was sick. I was miserable for three days. After three days, it all subsided. I got my strength back. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I go to church, and it's on Sunday. I don't have a meeting that week. I'm not preaching out. I'm staying home. I go to church uh, on day six. When I go, this little praying granny comes up to me, and she points at me. And it's like she just knew, you know. I, you know, I, I tell the testimonies later, but I don't tell people when I'm fasting. And she points at me, and she goes, how long are you fasting for? And I just kind of looked at her, and I said, well, you know, until... Till I feel the Lord, you know, lets me know I'm done. And she told me, you're touching heaven. So that night, unbeknownst to me, I think I went through one of the greatest trials of my ministry. I was fighting a mind battle. And, you know, you know, I know, I know it's great when we got Kool-Aid coming out of our water faucet, our dishes don't get dirty, and our breath never stinks. That all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But that's not the real world. So I started fighting this mind battle, and uh, it went from my mind to, it felt like somebody hit me in the head with a two-by-four. I, 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 to this day, I know it was an attack, but to put my finger on what it was, I couldn't do that. But uh, I got up, I, I, left my, uh, I left my prayer place, went to the living room, which was empty, and just walked and prayed, and just, just walked and prayed, praying and believing, praying and believing, to no avail. I mean, it just, I was, I was just a torment, nonstop torment. And I'm just praying. I did not know I was just about less than 12 hours, at this point maybe nine hours from my breakthrough, from, from God opening up the door and saying, you're done. Far too often the church will give up when we are on the cusp of God, the greatest moves of God that we've ever seen. When we were in Poto, when we were in Poto in Revival, we had a lady come in, and a pastor mentioned it, but through a word of knowledge, you know, sometimes that, that word of knowledge, your faith will just explode. And during this revival, my, my faith was just exploding. And there was this lady, we'd never met her before. She'd come in, you know, she, somebody brought her to get a healing. And through a word of knowledge, God revealed to me that she had cancer, but he was going to heal her and told me where it was and just some interesting details. And, oh, she wept and she cried. And then the next day, unbeknownst to me, she had a doctor's appointment. I didn't even know what happened until two days later. She went to the doctor. The doctor gave her a clean bill of health. She went from full-blown cancer, her life was being threatened by this cancer, to a clean bill of health in 48 hours. Isn't God good? We were scheduled for a Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I told the pastor, what if we'd not gone one more service? What if we would have quit? What if we'd have given up? That, you know, somebody said, well, God would have sent somebody else along. How do we know? How do we know that that's what would have happened? We have got to be the church that will press through the hard times. I know there are times as a pastor, I preached to empty seats. As a pastor, I stood in empty buildings. And uh, I, I can remember when my wife would get up and sing and I'd hold the babies. And then uh, we'd pass the babies off and we would sing to each other and preach to each other. Nobody else in the building. But we did not give up. I want you to know it's not like that anymore. But there has to be this perseverance that gets a hold of us that said, I'm going to do this no matter what's going to happen to me, no matter what. People say things like, I would die for the gospel. We can't say that when we are unwilling to live for the gospel. All he wants us to do is live for him. Of course I'm willing to die for it, but I want to live every day for him. I had a list, three things that I was believing God to do. Three things, three breakthroughs I was believing for in my personal ministry, in my personal life. And uh, the headache kind of lifted, and I felt better, and I was laying on my bed, and I was in that place in between being asleep and being awake. And then God started talking to me. 
I mean, just clear as a bell. And I had a pencil and paper, and it was, it's like a daze. It's hard to explain that moment. And one by one, God gave me the answers that I was praying for. One by one said, do this, do this, do this. Now, I had a, I, I can share just a little bit. I had, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this. We had $20,000 that was taken from us. I, it's, it's very, it's, it's not as simple as somebody came in and robbed us, you know what I'm saying? But we had money that was taken from us. And had somebody that, that uh, you know, it's just, just a thing. And what I've learned is if you get, if you're stolen from, don't, don't look at it as being stole from. Look at it as seed. You know, just start saying, okay, Lord, you know, there's nothing I can do to change this situation. So, Lord, I'm just going to relinquish that. It's going to be just like I gave it away. And I'm going to call that seed to the kingdom of God. So I just settled that into my spirit. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. Well, God gave me supernatural instruction about that. And he said, don't touch it. Don't, don't worry about it. You just leave it alone. You put it in my hands. I'll take care of it. Within 24 hours, I had to be at a meeting shortly after that. I think on Tuesday I had to leave for a meeting. Uh, I got a phone call about that situation where I had the opportunity to put my hands on it. But because God told me, don't put your hands on it, I had supernatural instructions. I want you to know within a year, God gave me one little idea, just one tiny idea that didn't just bring $20,000 in my life. It brought it repeatedly over and over again, a perpetual income. Come on, somebody. See, if we will just persevere, if we will just press through, we'll just press through. And the Bible says, let me, let me, read, let me read some of this again because I want to, I want, to, I want you to get the heart of this. It says that Jacob went to Beersheba, which is toward Haran, and he light, lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took a stone, that place, and he put it for his pillow and he laid down and he dreamed. And the Bible says he dreamed. We need dreamers in the church. We need dreamers in the church. We need people that are willing to dream big so they can do big things for God. I remember when God called me into ministry. Oh, the places that I've been able to go and the things I've been able to, to do. But, but my vision is so much bigger than where I am right now. To this day, I dream so much bigger. I've been in churches and had the privilege of ministering in places where uh, from the, where I stood, I could not see the back door. I would have to squint to see the back door. And I've also preached in living rooms. And, and I'm not ashamed of any of that. I'm thankful that God opens up doors at all. But I want you to know what I'm dreaming of doing so outweighs the opportunities that I've ever seen. We have got to be dreamers. We've got to dream. And somebody said, well, you know, we don't want to give people false hope. I don't understand that. If you've got just a little bit of hope, if you've got just something that says, I can see my out of my situation. You might be in debt so high that you don't think you'll ever get out of it. Dream bigger than you've ever dreamed. Start seeing yourself debt free. Start seeing yourself helping other people get debt free. You might be so sick they've given you a death sentence. You start seeing yourself living like you've never lived before. Don't let the enemy attack your vision. The greatest adversary to your vision is your vision because what you see in front of you is not where God's taking you. It said he dreamed. He dreamed. Do we have any big dreamers in the house tonight? I mean big dreamers. Big dreamers. I, uh, I believe God. God will give you one idea that will change your life. He'll give you one opportunity. Bring one person into your life. I was uh, talking, to, talking uh, to Pastor earlier about Northwest Arkansas. When we were there at Pastor Rocky's church, the name of their church is River of Life as well. We were there at pa Pastor Rocky. There's one lady who came to our meeting. And if that lady did not bring a couple hundred people to those services, she didn't bring a person. And God, God gave me favor with one crazy little word, just one little word. I was praying for her, and I heard the Lord say, tell her I'm fixing her plumbing. And I thought, that's a weird thing to say to a person. You know, because then your mind starts thinking, you know, want to just blurt that out, you know, because that could be taken wrong. And so then in my mind, it starts, you know, starts getting goofy, you know. 
And so the Lord's just like, tell her what I said to tell her. Her name's Miss Sandra. She's a precious, precious partner of our ministry to this day. And uh, I said, uh, the Lord told me to tell you, you've got a plumbing problem. Then he shows me a building. And I said, I see your building. I see it's a plumbing problem. And I said, and the Lord wants you to know that he's going to fix that on your behalf. She comes up to me after the service, and she says, Brother Benny, you're not going to believe this. She said, um, we have to have uh, our, uh, they have a home for, um, oh, I guess it's like transitional housing, but it's for drug addicts and recovering alcoholics and people who've had addiction, but also people who've been in penitentiary and they need a place to go in between. Well, this place, they have to put in a water fire, fire uh, sprinkler system. And it was going to be $17,000, and they didn't have the money to do it. And she said, there was no way for you to know that, so I know God's going to do it. That very week, somebody walked into her office, handed her a check for $17,000, and she was able to get it all plumbed, right? God knows what he's doing. This is just a side note. But, you know, when God connects you with people, and so many people have been connected to us through prophetic words, but, but God spoke to me one day and said, tell Sandy that in, within this year, God's going to give send one person into her life that's going to give her the budget for her entire year, which is, unbeknownst to me, it was about $120,000. To just for their budget. That's not salaries. That's just to run their, their ministry. And so I was preaching in Coffeeville, Kansas, and she shows up and comes in and says, Brother Benny, I got a great testimony. And she said, do you remember when? I said, yeah, Miss Sandra, I remember that. She said, a lady walked into my office this week and handed me one check for $120,000. Listen, when, when you've got the spirit of revival operated in your life. It will revive your health. It will revive your wealth. It will revive everybody that you come across. It will change your perspective and it'll give you vision again and it'll cause you to dream. I, I release dreams and visions in this house. I declare over you right now that tonight as you lay your head on your pillow God's going to release technical dreams. Those of you in the tech industry God's going to release tech technical dreams to you. Those of you right now, under the sound of my voice, you have personal businesses. God's going to cause those businesses to bloom because God will give you one idea that will change every day, everything. Man. He laid his head on a rock. The most uncomfortable thing you could ever imagine. And he went to sleep. That tells me there was a supernatural sleep that fell upon him. At Bethel, there was a supernatural rest. And then the Bible says there was angelic activity that began to take place. Some years ago while I was preaching, there was an angel. Many times people will see an angel while I'm preaching, either stand behind me or beside me and have people come to me. And the Lord told me the name of that angel was Revival Fire. And said that when I go to places that he would send revival fire. Now, I, that, I know that that's a play on words, but it means something to me because I want revival fire everywhere I go. There was a friend of mine, I could, in, 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 in my book, uh, Prophetic Encounters, I talk a lot about angelic visitations, but, but uh, I, I just, just share just a couple of them. The church has to quit being afraid of angelic activity. Uh, we do not worship angels. We don't bow down to them. We don't, it's not even that that we, uh, we are expecting angels to do. But the word says that there are angels that are encamped around those that serve and fear God. So if you serve and fear God, you can't help but have angelic activity around you. The Bible says that Jesus had been on a 40-day fast out in the desert, and at the end of 40 days, angels came to him, and they began to minister to him. Now, I know that means they fed him, but minister means they helped him. I believe they told him what the father was going to do next. There was a friend of mine that was driving down the road, getting ready to preach up into, man, I feel the glory right now. I mean, I feel a stir of heaven just right now. On his, on his way to Detroit in the middle of winter to preach, 
as he's coming, terrible snowstorm. As he's driving down the road, he comes up on an exit. He's tired and he's hungry and he just wants to stop for the night, but there's no way. Traveling's been so slow. He can't make his meeting if he stops. He pulls into this rest stop and he sees this little, little restaurant on the side of the road. And he goes into the restaurant, and when he goes to walk in, there's nobody there. There's this much snow on the ground. He goes walking up to the door and wondering if they're open. And a guy walks out with a towel over his arm and said, Come in, we've been waiting for you. My friend walks into the walks in there, and him and his wife, they sat down, and the, the, the same guy comes over, and he says, Tonight, we have ribeye steak. He says, we're going to serve that with a baked potato with butter, sour cream, and we've got a Caesar salad, which happened to be my friend's favorite meal. He says, to drink, we have Coke and Diet Coke, which was what him and his wife drank. When they were done eating, the same waiter came back and said, today we have New York cheesecake. We're going to put some cherries on top of that for you, and we just want to, and they hand them some cheesecake. And and after they sat there for a while, all finished with their meal and kind of rested and needing to get back on the road again, they called for the guy to come back, and he said, well, what do we owe? You know, where's our check? And he said, oh, no, it's been paid in full tonight. He says, because you've been on the road, and we know you're weary travelers, we're taking care of your meal tonight. They wouldn't even let him leave a tip. And so my friend got up and he got in his car and drove five minutes down the road and he was at the exit where he needed to be for the church he was going to. The next day, he went to the church and he preached. And while he was, while he was preaching, you know, he mentioned this little place and everybody kind of looked at each other. And then after the service, he said, Hey, pastor, why don't we get everybody and let's go to this place. They were so kind to me last night. Let's just encourage everybody to go. And the pastor said, Where's that place again? He couldn't, he, he said, it's just up here on this exit, right before the exit for the church. And he said, well, I don't know that place. It must be new. And he said, well, it looks like it's been there for a while, but okay. So they got in their cars and drove to the exit. And when they got there, there was nothing there, just an empty parking lot. And in that moment, God spoke to him and said, son, you were hungry and I fed you. Somebody said, I... I don't believe that can happen. You need to understand, we serve an awesome God who can do awesome things. And if you are hungry, He will take care of you. My uh, precious, precious minister of the gospel had great impartation into my life. His name was Truman Dillingham. And one time he was traveling, and back in the day, everybody pulled a camper trailer. You know, few people do that today. I got a buddy pulling a a trailer this week, he's up in uh, uh, New Mexico preaching, getting six miles to the gallon. And he called me this week and said, I've got to rethink what I'm going to do. <laughs> he don't like hotels, so he pulls a camper. But back in the day, everybody pulled a camper. So my friend was pulling a camper, and he pulled into a Denny's restaurant. You know, and uh, no, I'm sorry, it was, a, it was an awful house. I mean, it was an, a waffle house. And he pulled into the awful, waffle house, and uh, just, they were so tired, they got out, got in their camper, and just went to sleep. The next day, he wakes up, gets himself together, and goes in, says, babe, do you want anything? And she said, yeah, get me some coffee and some bacon and some eggs and toast. He says, I'll, I'll just get us both the same thing. He goes into the restaurant, orders, orders the meals to go for both of them, and there's a man sitting there and looks at him and says, hi, Truman. He begins to talk to him and begins to tell him about his life and what God... It's amazing how the mind works. Because he said, I sat there for 15 minutes and I talked to him. And he said, I, he tells me things that I've done and things I'm going to do that only me and God knew. And he said, and then I realized that this man was wise beyond his years. And he said, sir, wait right here. I'm going to get my wife. I want my wife to talk to you as well. And so he got up and he ran out the door, ran to the camper, beat on the door. She comes back and says, what are you doing? And he says, I just met a man. He's wise beyond his years, and I want you to meet him. And she says, what do you mean you just met a man? Yeah, I've been talking to him. And she looked at her watch and said, Truman, you have not been gone a solid minute yet. And he said, you've lost your mind. Get out. And here she is in her, her uh, robe and bunny slippers, and they go walking into the awful house. 
And he says, and goes to the waitress and says, where's the guy that was sitting next to me? And she says, what guy? He says, the man that was sitting next to me, you took my order 15, 20 minutes ago. Where's the guy? She looked at him and said, sir, I've never seen you before in my life. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to his wife and said that you had entertained an angel. Friend, I want you to know that God will do whatever he has to do to get the attention that he needs to get from you as his son, as his daughter. We, uh, I was preaching in a, oh, a, a little, little bitty tiny town over in Oklahoma. I can't remember the name of it. We, I was staying in Norman, but I was preaching this little bitty tiny, little bitty tiny town. The church was about a mile off of the road. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm preaching at the end of the service. I began to minister to people. And it was a Saturday night, and there wasn't that many people there that night. And uh, there's this family sitting in the back that I'd never seen before. And I went walking up to him, and the Lord sent me to him. And I walk up to this young man, and I said, Sir, what's your name? I didn't know he was an unbeliever. I didn't know that he had come that night because his wife made him come. And his mama, it was his mama's church. And I said, Sir, what's your name? And I don't remember what his first name was at all. But I just took a step back, Pastor, and I said, Love it. Like, I loved his name. You know what I'm saying? And he looked at me, and he said, That's my last name. And he began to weep. I want you to know that young man gave his heart to Jesus. So that same night, there's a pastor there from the area. And he comes in, and he, I, I know him. I've talked to him before, but, you know, I'd never preached revival for him or anything, and he'd been praying about me coming in. And so on Friday night, Pastor Dave was there, and on Saturday night, this family was there. So this is Monday morning. Pastor Dave calls me and says, Brother Benny, just wanted to share a testimony with you. He said, today I was getting my hair cut. And the young lady that cuts my hair was sharing this testimony about this church that she went to in Lindsay, Oklahoma. And said that there was, and told this story about how her husband had gotten saved. And he said, who was the preacher? And she said, it was Benny Baker. And he said, well, I was there Friday night. I know Biddy Baker. And he tells me, he said, God, he said, I was praying and asking the Lord if you want me to have Benny to come in and preach. I want you to do something so demonstrative that I'll know that only you could have set it up. And he put me in that woman's chair on Monday morning. And I need, we had revival break out. Uh, power of God hit that place. We had a lady who had 15, well, this is just the highlight, 15 tumors in her body on Monday night. She came in, told me what was wrong. I said, on Wednesday, we'll hear the testimony of God healing you and setting you free. On Wednesday, she came back, and she shared a testimony how they rechecked her, and every tumor was gone by the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. We need revival in America again. We have got to get back to revival. We've got to get back to the culture of revival precious friend of ours over in uh, Shakota, Oklahoma. I, we had a, a two-week revival there, I think maybe three years ago. They had been praying and believing for revival for years. And one day the Lord spoke to him and said, if you'll get up every morning and pray at 5 o'clock, I will send you revival. I'll send you revival. Every day at 5 o'clock they would get up and drive to the church. They had a Christian school. They had a lot going on. Uh, get up and drive to the church and pray for revival every day, 5 o'clock. She said, Brother Benny, sometimes we had five people there. Sometimes it was just me and my husband. But we had as many as 80 at 5 o'clock in the morning. And for over a year, they prayed for revival. This is back in the late 80s, early 90s. She said at the end of, at the end of a year, we had a guest speaker who came in for a Sunday and said, uh, just came in, something clicked, and they decided to go Monday. And then they went Tuesday, and then they went Wednesday, and then they went Thursday, and then they went Friday, and then they came back and did Sunday again. And then they went all the way up to Friday again. Now, the God was moving, but you know there's a difference in a revival and a series of meetings. You can go have good preaching, right? The Bible does not say my house will be a house of preaching. It says my house will be a house of prayer, right? And he said... Uh, she said, after two weeks, we had to make a decision. 
will we move forward with this revival or was this just a good meeting? She said, God, I want you to do something so demonstrative that we have to know it's you and we'll go forward. That night, the storefront church, the name of the church is Faith Temple. They've moved into a new building just like two years ago, but just uh, packed from wall to wall people. There was standing room only and kids sitting up in the front. They built a prayer line from one side of the church to the other. A pretty decent-sized building, you know, but it's just a storefront. From one side to the other, you know, you could elbow to elbows, you know. And so the mama pastor and the daddy pastor and, and then the evangelists were praying for everybody that night. And my little friend, her name was Margie. Margie's walking by praying for people. And she gets to this, this uh, precious little, little young mama, single mom. Daddy walked out on him. And she's got a little blind boy. And she leans down, and Miss Margie, you got to know Margie was about, I'm not kidding, she was about this tall, and she was about that round. But boy, she could pray. And when she prayed, heaven would move. Oh, she had so many miracles in her ministry. She uh, starts praying for that little boy, fervently praying over that little boy, cursing blindness and loosened sight. I mean, just seeking God, and nothing happened. Nothing. I mean, you would think after a prayer like that, you know, all of hell would have just shut up and packed up and went somewhere else, right? So there that little boy stands, and Margie goes and starts praying for that mama, and she's praying over that mama. And you got to know Margie, man. She would pray. You know, it wasn't just a little short prayer. She prayed. She's praying over that mama, and that little boy has his way with one of his mama's attention. He leaned up and grabbed that mama by the shirt tail and started pulling on that shirt tail saying, Mama, Mama, Mama. And after this way, she just ignored it sometimes, you know. She thought, you know, Margie will get done praying. But, but after a while, she just said, excuse me, Miss Margie, I, let me deal with this. Let me deal with my boy. I'll, I'll be right back. And she leans down and she looks at him and she says, Baby, you've been prayed for. It's Mama's turn. It's Mama's time to be prayed for. That little blind boy looked at his mom and said, but mama, I can see your face. That's a true story. I want you to know they broke out into three years of revival. Three years of revival. That sounds great. That sounds wonderful. But you know, when you get in revival, you get tired, but you got to press through. I know sometimes services get long, but you just got to press through. I know that sometimes it seems like everything's not where it is, where you want it to be, but you just got to press through. And I believe if we will be a church that will lay our head on the rock and say, God, if you will fill my mind with visions and fill my mind with dreams, then the church will become what it's been called to be. The church has got to get back to the house of God. Not man's agenda. Not even the corporate agenda, but the biblical agenda. Let's get back to winning souls. Let's get back to the sick being healed, the dead being raised. We ought to be so full of God that hell runs from us. I mean that. Hell ought to run from us. When Jesus showed up into a region, hell would run from Jesus. Demons would cry out not to torment them because it was not yet their time. We... uh church has got to get back to being filled with power. I had mentioned earlier that uh, I'm, I'm almost done preaching tonight. I, I got a lot to say, but I, I want to pray for some people, and I've got a lot on my heart tonight. But I want to I close with this. I was, we've always had television ministry. I mean, we've done radio and TV just as long as I've been preaching. You know? And we had a local television broadcast there in Iowa when we pastored. And we were on, we started out on just the public access channel. And uh, the reason we did that, because if you lived in Waterloo and did not have upgraded cable, you didn't get any Christian television. So every Tuesday night, our, our program became Christian television for that area. I mean, it, it, we had a, an impact on our area through that public access channel. And so... I'm sitting in my office one day, and I get a call. Sorry, that's my alarm. I get a call from a local pastor. Pastor's a Baptist church on the other side of town. 
He says, is this Benny Baker? I said, yeah. So what can I do for you? He said, I'm, I'm Pastor Morris. So I pastor such and such Baptist church on the other side of town. He says, I want to meet with you. And I said, okay, that'd be awesome. He says, I've been watching your television program, and I want to meet with you. I mean, you know, this could go really good, or this could be rough, you know. I didn't know which. And so I said, no, no, I want to meet with you, you know. And he, I said, when can we meet? And he says, well, I'm in your parking lot right now. Where are you at? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm in my office. I'll come let you in. I went, and I opened up the door, and then this big old guy comes walking in, comes back and sits in my office. And he said, I recently went to a conference in Indianapolis, Indiana. He said, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, I saw your program on TV. He says, will you come to preach at my church, my Baptist church? He said, will you bring your people and will you speak in tongues? Will you teach us how to speak in tongues? Will you lay hands on the sick? He said, will you pray for us to get baptized in the Holy Ghost? Will you do those things? Will you preach Pentecost to us? And I said, Pastor Anderson, I would love to do that. When do you want to do it? He says, I have a date. (laughs) I said, that would be great. And he gives me a date. A Sunday afternoon, maybe three weeks out, I don't know. It wasn't very much time. And so uh, I tell the church, so Sunday afternoon, we're having Sunday morning service. We're going to cancel our Sunday night. Sunday afternoon, we're going to go over to this Baptist church, and we're going to pray for Baptists to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. So I... I get to the church. They, are, they, are, they have bought an old grocery store and turned it into a church. It's beautiful, but it's massive. So when I get there, I, I do, I, I've been by the church. They had 50, 60 people, you know. It's a Sunday afternoon. I figured they, with our people, we might have 100 or so that day, you know, putting the two churches together for an afternoon service, you know, being out of the box. When I get there, there's nowhere to park. We have to park like a mile down the road and walk. When I get there, I mean, there are people everywhere. People are coming up to me, Pastor, what's going on? You know, what, what is this? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> they just invited me to come preach on a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what's going on. And so I'm thinking, this, this, I've got my Sundays mixed up. This isn't the Sunday they want me to preach. Something else is going on. I go in, so a gentleman walks up to me, and he gives me, says, or, says uh, Pastor Benny, it's good to meet you. Takes me back to the back office. When I get back there, there's 15 Baptist pastors. All standing in a little circle, getting ready to pray before we go out and have service. What that, that old boy called up every church that he knew in that area and told him to come out. We were having a special service. Now, I don't think he lied to him, but he led them to believe it was a very special Baptist service. I'm still thinking I've got the wrong church on the wrong day. You know what I'm saying? And so Pastor Anderson asked one of the other pastors to pray, introduce me. And when he was praying, everybody had their eyes. It was real formal, you know. Everybody had their eyes closed, their head bowed. And I heard Pastor Anderson go, psh. And I looked up and, you know, trying to be spiritual, you know. looked up and he looks at me and he goes, get him, Holy Ghost. I want you, after the formalities was rough because they did some some just slow, kind of drawn out stuff, you know. But then this one old boy gets up from another church and he starts to sing, open the floodgates of heaven. And when he did, God opened the floodgates of heaven. I don't remember what happened next, but I hit the ground preaching and I don't think I stopped. I just, you know, it was just full throttle. At the end of that service, there was 85 people who got filled with the Holy Ghost in a Baptist church. Come on, somebody. See, we have got to be a church that revival is just not inside us. It's not just in the walls of our church. That we take it from where we are and it reaches our community. We have got to be a people that get back to Bethel. And the Bible says that God spoke to him. And he said, I want you to go back to Bethel. Jacob, go back to Bethel. And he went, and this is what he did. He went to all the people associated with him. He went to the church. Can I, can I just say it that way? He went to the body. And he said, get rid of your pagan idols. He said, go and cleanse yourself. Change your clothes because we're going back to the place where I heard from heaven. We've got to get back to the place where the church hears the voice of God again. 
Listen, I believe in the Word. I do. I, I'm a Word guy, man. I love the Word. I, I, I've read my Bible through so many times. I love the Bible. I love the Word. But I want you to know you can't just have the Word. Because if you just have the Word, you'll dry up. In saying that, you can't just have the Spirit. You can't just, I'll just pray all the time. You pray all the time, you don't read your Bible, and you watch all these goofy videos, and what will end up happening is, is you'll get off base, and you'll be deceived. But if you've got the Word, and you've got the Spirit of God operating together, that is why God gave us that triunion. That's why He gave us that trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He meant for us to have a marriage between the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And when we have that, we are going to grow up and become the church that we've been called to be. We've got to get back to miracles. We've got to get back to healings. Those things are the sounding bell for the lost. Stand to your feet tonight, and if we could put on some music. Miracles are the dinner bell for the hungry and the lost and the broken. And if we have that in operation, people are going to come to where we are. 